This message is brought to you by House on the Rock Fellowship. We are a church that serves and cares for the Miami Valley region in Ohio. Before you continue, make sure to access the notes from our download section of our message page and have your Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. Do we have any uh, marksmen in the house like to shoot things at distance? Yeah. <laughs> Terry, I'm sorry. Um, uh, we had someone in the service, who, uh, first service, who shot something at 800 yards. Um, all the other like, yeah. Or, or, I mean, have you ever done that? Just try to see how far out can I shoot something? I mean, give that a, anyone just for fun, just for fun. Adam, what was the farthest? Adam, you remember what the farthest was that you hit something like that you wanted to hit? Three feet, four feet. 400 yards. That's good. That's, that's, I used to go archery. Logo. I used to go to the pistol range. I, I enjoyed it. Um, in 2022, a team went out to Wisconsin to set the long distance record for rifle shot. Long distance. 4.4 miles. They hit a target as eight inches across. Now, maybe you're like, how far is 4.4 miles, right? Okay, so if we are up on the roof of this church right here, okay, and we are aiming towards Cracker Barrel, where Cracker Barrel is over by the mall, okay, on the other side of town, that's not far enough. You know where Walmart's at, past Cracker Barrel, on the other side of the interstate? Walmart, that's not far enough. Do you know where Spring Creek is, elementary school? Going out towards Fisher, you know where I'm talking? That's not far enough. You need to go another half a mile beyond that to be 4.4 4 miles from this spot. They said to make that shot, they actually had to calibrate in the rotation of the earth the trigonometry involved, that they were in essence lobbing the bullet at the target. It went from 3,300 feet per second down to 600 feet per second. And it entered the target at about 49 degrees, an artillery shot. Now, they will say this, there's real no chance of repeating that. It took them 69 tries that day to pull that off. And maybe in the future, you know, rules are made to be broken. And it was just for fun. It wasn't a life and death. It wasn't, you know, a sniper hit out on the battlefield. It was just, hey, how far out can we go? 4.4 miles. That's pretty impressive, right? It's not like jumping out of an airplane without a parachute, right? It's not life or death. Unless your name is Luke Aiken. And in 2016, you did that. He intentionally jumped out of an airplane at 25,000 feet without a parachute to hit a net 100 feet by 100 feet. He hit his target. <laughs> Took him two years to prep. When he said, he said when he jumped out of that airplane, okay, five miles up, when he jumped out of that airplane, he couldn't even see his target. That's life or death. He hit terminal velocity at 120 miles an hour. And to survive it, he had to completely, because he's flying out like he had to completely one second above target, flip over onto his back so that when he hit the compression nets, it folded him in half this way as opposed to folding him in half the other way. That's life or death. That's the distance. I mean, think about the distance. Two minutes of falling, no parachute. And your wife is down and your wife is signed off on this. Maybe he should be concerned about that. <laughs> oh, yeah. You want to jump out with that parachute? You go, baby girl. Absolutely. Yeah. The bullet took 24 seconds to fly its 4.4 miles. What an amazing distance. 
I bring that up because what we need to do today is to cover an incredibly great distance. We're not talking about feet. We're not talking about miles. We're going to talk about years. Because there's a, there's a target. There's something that Jesus says in the gospel that I don't think anyone can afford to miss. It truly is life and death. But our challenge, we're reading it and hearing it over 2,000 years away. Am I humble enough? Are you humble enough to slow down and ask ourselves, based on my experience, based on my education, based on how I grew up, do I see it clearly? Do I understand Jesus' words? In John chapter 3, verse 5, Ryan, go ahead. Would you read these with me, please? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Truly, truly. That's Jesus' way of saying in John's gospel, you can't miss this target. You have to understand this. You have to get this. You can't miss this mark. And what is that mark? It says, unless you are born of water and spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unless. Parents, any of you give your kids an unless? Huh? You ever give them an unless? Unless you do this, that's not happening. <laughs> I hear the voices of some kids, yes, what does that? And parents, you know you do a great injustice if you say that and you don't follow through, right? You get that, right? That's just bad parenting. If you're going to draw a line, you, you got to keep to that line. He's drawing a very, very big line. Unless, Jesus says, you are born of water and spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. It says it is a theological threshold. It is a door. On one side is death and on the other side is life. And if you don't pass through this door, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Our challenge is that all of us are looking at this across 2,000 years of history. I'm going to ask you to raise your hands. And it's real important for me and us as a community to respect each other's journey. If you could raise your hand when it's appropriate. If you come from a Baptist, German Baptist tradition, could you raise your hand, please? It's okay. I know Baptists. I hate raising their hands. Eric's <laughs> like, that's right. So you get halfway. Okay, beautiful. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Okay, if you come from a Methodist, Lutheran tradition, Anglican tradition, could you raise your hand, please? Okay, okay. Okay, okay. If you come from a Presbyterian background, could you raise your hand? I did this one for Adam <laughs> and Jason. <laughs> if you come from a Catholic heritage, a Catholic background, could you raise your hand? Okay. If you have no church background, could you raise your hand? Yeah. Yeah. These are just examples of very different theological understandings of what this means to be baptized. And how your heritage would interpret to be born of water and spirit. So let me illustrate. And Eric, this is the part where I warned you about, okay? Uh, Eric's our cameraman. Um, yeah, I'm going to, there's going to be some moving. Um, I, I marked out here, and I love seeing your expressions when you walk in and, and see things like this on the ground. This is, in essence, 2,000 years of history. Each carpet square is, is, a, is 100 years. 
So if you're looking down and you can't see the lines, if you look down at your feet, uh, so we're, we're talking about, you know, 100, 200, 300, 400, all the way across time, okay? And it's okay if you can turn around if you want to. I have, I have ego issues. Um, all the way back here, 2,000 years, I am removed across time from what Jesus says, those words. Am I humble enough to think that I might possibly be out of focus? Maybe I don't see things as clearly as I ought or as I should. Is it possible? I mean, I have an experience. I have glasses, and my glasses, they create uh, an illusion of vision, an illusion of focus. Because it's even more complicated. Believe it or not, it's not a straight shot between me and this target. Believe it or not, there's a lot of things that are in the way. And I wanted to share some of those things with you. And I am asking for your humble respect. I will say some things this morning that will make you feel very uncomfortable. I'm okay with that. But the things that we're talking about, literally wars have been fought over. Churches have divided over. Family members have written each other off over. But we're not that church, are we? So I invite your humility and your grace with me. Some of the things that get in the way from the very beginning for me on my journey as I'm wrestling with the priority of baptism is a season that we call the early church fathers. These were some guys and some gals that lived 200, 300, 400, 500 years after Christ. And so I need, I need about three or four people just to come on up. And you guys know how this works, right? Number one, uh, you know, I love, you know, volunteers. I love voluntolding. If you have a beard, you have to come up. Hey, if you come up, I'll let you be Augustine. Yeah, Adam, you have no choice, man. You guys don't have to do anything but stand. I just need you to stand. So I need some first century and second century. And what to do? And you get to be Augustine, man. Like, dude, you are Augie. You are one of the most significant theologic, theologians of all time. Okay? That, that is you. Okay? These guys are like wannabes compared to what you bring to the table. So you just like own it, buddy. Like, yeah, that's right. No, you don't worship him. Well, maybe. Okay. I don't so, have that big. <laughs> All right, so let me read to you some of the things that these guys said as they reflect on and look at baptism, okay? And here's, here's just an, an observation. Is it easier to hit the target when you're this far or when you're that far? Here's some of the things that they said. You ready? Here's one guy named Barnabas. You want to be Barney? You can be Barney, Okay. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> Don't ever do that again. Okay? This is, this is, this is one. Oh, man. Piano players. We indeed descend into water full of sin and defilement. However, we emerge bearing fruit in our hearts with the fear and trust in Jesus in our spirits. Isn't that interesting? There's another guy named Hermes. You want to be Hermie? You can be Hermie. Okay? There is, this is, this is powerful. There is no other repentance than that which takes place when we descend into the water and receive remission of our former sins. Okay? Do you understand what he's saying there? He's saying there is no other repentance outside of your baptism. One guy named Irenaeus said this. He was talking about an uprising, a heresy. He says, this class of men has been instigated by Satan to deny that baptism is regeneration to God. To be born again. Another one named Justin. That baptism was the means by which believers obtained remission of sins Another one named Tertullian. The act of baptism is carnal, meaning physical, in that we are plunged into the water, but the effect is spiritual, in that we are freed from sins. He says, 
It's a sacramental thing to come to the water. It's physical and spiritual together. And then Augustine. How many of you guys recognize the name St. Augustine? Have you guys ever heard that? Augie, that's you, buddy. Dude, big time, man. Like you are the doctor of the faith. The things that you say echo into eternity, okay? Like a, like a Russell Crowe movie, okay? <laughs> Baptism, Augustine said, is nothing less than salvation itself. The salvation of man is affected in baptism. I'll be honest, okay? I'll be honest. As someone who grew up in certain theological traditions, I would never get up and preach some of the things that these guys said about baptism. I don't know if I could do it. But here they are, nonetheless. These words are here, okay? Early, early years of the church. We're just generations away from what Jesus said. But time goes on, doesn't it? Time goes on. Enter the Protestant Reformation. How many of you guys are familiar with the phrase Protestant Reformation? Some of you are familiar with that? Okay, so good times, good times. Okay, um, yeah, dude, this is awesome. We're burning each other. We're hanging each other. Gotta love the church. Okay, um, yeah, gotta love the church. Is anyone here from a Catholic heritage? Love my Catholic brothers and sisters. Love my Catholic. Maddie, would you help me, please? Okay, I need, you, I need you to be our Roman brothers and sisters, okay? We'll get you a habit. Just kidding. Okay, so yeah, we're talking, we're talking about the 1500s right here. Okay, now there's a guy who comes up. Stay there. You can, ready? All right, powerful. You at the Catholic church. This is powerful this time, okay? Okay, there's a guy named Martin Luther. You guys recognize the name Martin Luther? Okay, anyone here come from a Lutheran heritage? So did Marty. Well done. Go you, girl. <laughs> it's okay. It's all good. It's okay. Karen, could you come up and help me, please? I come from a Lutheran church, right? Could you... Could for us. <laughs> okay. Martin has, this is not Martin Luther King. This is not I have a dream. This is, this is who Martin Luther King was named after. Okay. Martin Luther had some real problems with what the Catholic church was saying about baptism. In baptism, the Catholic church at that time was saying that justification began. It started the process of washing your sins away. Initial sins, and this is something that they got passed down by Augie. Wave. Okay. Go ahead, Nick. Wave. Yeah. Throw the ball to Maddie. Throw the ball to Maddie. Throw her. Throw the ball. Throw. Yep. Catch it. Yeah. And she's running with it. She's running with it. Marty's like, time out. Time out. Okay. Okay. It doesn't, baptism doesn't start your justification. It washes everything away. It washes all your sin away. Not just a part of it. It is complete. It, for, for Martin Luther, baptism was the concrete form of your justification. A beautiful, he loved baptism, okay? And so you two kind of, boo, 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 go at it. Choo, 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 choo. <laughs> kind of little John Travolta there. <laughs> okay, well, here's, here's something else, okay? Anyone here from a Baptist heritage or a German Baptist tradition? German Baptist? Who? What? No, 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 no. You can't, you can't do both. Okay, Rose, come on up. Rose, come on up. Yeah. We'll, we'll get, get some. Okay, so you need to step aside a little bit. And no, you're going to go right in the center because you're going to pick a fight with all of them. Okay. <laughs> the Anabaptist dries up and they're like, because the, this tradition, you're, we're baptizing infants all the way up because we're removing original sin. How many of you were baptized by infant, as an infant, as a very young child? Okay. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Okay. Anabaptists are like, no, 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 no. You need to convert. You need to make a decision. You need to get baptized again. Marty's like, he just starts shooting everyone. He's having, so y'all just go, beep, 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 beep. yeah, yeah, okay. So if any of you grew up in a church tradition in the United States, all of your, all of your history comes back to this moment, whether it's Catholic Lutheran, Anglican, Methodist, Baptist, German Baptist, everything comes back to this place. And the tree goes like this. Okay? Okay? Presbyterian, right? John Calvin. Come here, buddy. Okay? All right, so we're going to, I need to step through just a little bit on the other side. I need you to stay. 
Hey, you guys still good? Just wave. Just wave. Wave. There you go. They're waving. They're waving. Okay. So John comes up. Okay. John, a lot of respect for Martin. A lot of respect. But John's like, no, 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 no. That is not how faith operates at all. Okay. And so he's going to lay into this too. Okay. So we've got, we got the Catholics saying one thing. We've got the Lutherans saying another. We've got the Anabaptists saying something. we got Presbyterians and reforming happening and all. Just, it's, it's, it's a storm. Literal war. Over this issue, with me, it's, it's 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 serious. Now, let me ask you, okay? So, Jesse, just could you move just a little bit so I can see the tank, bud? Yeah. So here I am, okay? Here I am in my history. If I line up with one of them and it's the wrong one, am I going to hit my target? No, I, I could really be off. And there's a, there's another. I need a I need. Come here, Dax. Uh, no, 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 no. You, you do so much, right? Carter, come here, buddy. Just because I can, and you can't say no. Okay, you, you're going to be Carl Barth, okay? Anyone familiar with Carl Barth? Okay, Carl Barth is probably the most significant theologian of the 20th century. Right there, buddy. Well done. Between you and Augie, wave to Augie. There you go, okay? You're looking back at this. You're like, no, no, Luther's wrong, okay? Catholics, they're wrong. You're like, you get, to make a conscious decision of conversion. You're, you're lining up with, with, with big John right there, okay? His real name's Jason. It's not John. We're calling him John. John Calvanus, okay? And so here I am on this side as a student theologian, and I've, I've got him speaking in my Go, go. Yeah, so he's whispering in my ears about what baptism is, what baptism's not, and I'm like, all right, is he right? Is she right? What is this thing? Oh, wait, there's another mess. Okay, just stand right here, okay? Okay, just... You be you. Okay, you be you. You be you. Is there anyone here who can make a mess? Like, just make a mess. Corbell, you can make a mess, right? Can you be? Oh, yes. <laughs> could, you, could you please, just because I need, I need, you, to, I need you to distract Carter. <laughs> okay, I need you to be right here. Okay. You are the great enlightenment. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 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 How many of you here are thankful for the greater medical community? You have been here. You're thankful for hospitals. You're thankful for doctors. You're thankful for modern medicine. How many of you just raise your hand? Okay, awesome. Okay, you are thankful for the great enlightenment. Okay, this is what happens to the great enlightenment. This the rise of the sciences. How many of you are thankful we don't have to listen to God and can just kill us whenever he wants? Okay. The rise of a greater political systems of democracy, right? Right? Yeah, absolutely. We're not doing the politics thing right now. Don't do it. Don't do it. Okay? You're thankful for the great enlightenment. But there's something else that happens in the great enlightenment that most of us do not understand at all. What happened in the thunderstorm that is the great enlightenment is that on the other side of the great enlightenment, we now believe as an individual that everything can be scientifically reasoned Everything can be calculated. And in many respects, I am the center of my own universe. The centrality of Which means if I start to hear things sacramental like water and spirit, the whispers of the enlightenment quickly diffuse and dilute and remove that. And many churches that found their advent on this side of the advent, on this side of the enlightenment, really, really struggle with making baptism a priority because it comes through the great enlightenment. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Guys, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Can, you all go, can everyone give a round of applause to our, our mess? <laughs> Augie kind of likes it, man. He's like, I like this here. This is Am I humble enough to think that it's possible that what I see and understand of baptism comes through 2,000 years of people thinking this and people writing that and people doing this? Or am I like, nah, I got it figured out. 
I know exactly what it means. Am I humble enough to say, wow, I need another voice to speak into this? What if instead of looking back on it, we built up to it? What if we looked at other places where in the Bible it talked about water and spirit? I wonder if that would shape and inform and maybe bring this to more greater clarity. And would you believe it? It comes in the very first paragraph of the Bible. So if I go to Genesis chapter 1, these verses aren't going to be on the screen, but you might want to write them down in your notes just to look at them. What if we just started to build a theology of spirit and water? Some of you are like, is he going to go through the whole book? I will skip over big chunks, okay? But I just want to, let's just see. Let's just see what it says, right? Let's just see. Augie, we good? Augie says yes, all right. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. The spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Isn't that interesting? Here, the beginning of everything, described as utter chaos and voidness and, and, and death and dark. And it's described as a tumultuous chaos of water, but over the water is what? The spirit. And what's going to come forth from that? What's going to be born out of the spirit and the water, creation. Creation's going to come forth. Oh, that's interesting. I'm not saying it means anything. I'm just saying, oh, well, that's kind of cool. Now, if I were to keep going in the story, when's the next big place I might read about water? What? Yeah, own it, own it, own it. Noah. Yeah, who built the ark? Who built the ark? Brother Noah built the ark. Yeah, very good. That's awesome. Some of you went to VBS growing up. Very cool. Um, yeah, so if I jump to Genesis chapter 8, so I've got spirit and breath of God and water. Look how, because things on earth had gotten so bad, God has to decreate to recreate again. Okay? Everything has to be done away with so he can reborn and rebirth creation. Okay, so uh, giant flood, Noah, the ark. And this is this in the beginning of Genesis 8. God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth. Ruach, breath, over the waters and it subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. Rain from the heavens were restrained. The waters receded from the earth continually. And at the end of 150 days, the water had abated. That's interesting. So I've got water and I have a, a great wind. And what came out of that? What rose from that? Land, right? Land. Now look at this, verse 6. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove, a dove, to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot. She returned to the ark. He put out his hand and he took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days. Interesting, seven. Once in time, God doing big stuff with seven in seven? Did kind of, what kind of stuff does God do in seven days? Like everything. <laughs> he sent forth the dove. Verse 11, the dove came back to him in the evening and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So no one knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. For there was the water 
and this dove bringing forth a message of peace. He knew he could go forth through the waters unto dry land. That's weird. I'm not saying it means anything. I'm just saying it's there. Any, another time where there was like a lot of water and some stuff happened? Anyone think of another one? Yes, let us exit this book and move into another book. Right after Exodus. Yeah, so what do we got going on there? Moses goes back. Israel is in slavery and bondage. God sends the plagues. God strikes their water, decreates Egypt, the giant geopolitical power that it is, lays it waste. But they're still not free. Israel's still not free because as they're leaving Egypt, Pharaoh and the army still high on the heels. And believe it or not, God brought them to some water, a big wall of water. And look at what it says. This is Exodus chapter 14, verse 21. Moses, Exodus 14, verse 21. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And and God said that your hand will be my hand, my hand will be your hand. The Lord drove the sea back by what? A great strong wind all night and made the sea dry land. And the waters were divided and the people went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters became a wall to them on the right and on the left. Wow. God is going to deliver his people by bringing them through the waters. And what was over the waters? A great wind that will lead them into freedom. These stories of creation, of Noah, of the Exodus are always echoing in the minds of the Old Testament prophets and writers. John the Baptist, they know these stories, what God does through the waters and how God does it. That's why you get to passages in like Isaiah and Ezekiel when Israel again has really screwed up and found themselves in exile, found themselves without hope. In Isaiah chapter 44, listen to, listen to this idea. When God says he's going to restore and heal. Exodus 44, verse 3. These are desert people. I see, excuse me, Isaiah 44. I'm doing it by memory. Back off. <laughs> Back off a little bit. Little, it's 2,000 years. You guys know what we're trying to do a little bit? It's a little off. It seems like there's no Exodus 44. <laughs> Who here found Exodus 44? Wouldn't, wouldn't it be funny if someone raised their hands? You're like, liars. Next week, we're going to preach on lying out of Exodus 44. Some of you will get that joke later. Um, In Isaiah 44, verse 3, I will pour water on thirsty land, streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. When God talks about and describes his deliverance to restore the people, he grabs these two ideas, the idea of water, the idea of the spirit, being poured over them. Ezekiel does the same thing in Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36, talking about a new time when God's going to do a new thing. Exodus, I mean, excuse me, Ezekiel 36. (laughs) Talking about gathering all of God's people, the nations together. Ezekiel 36, verse 24. Ezekiel 36, 24. I will take you from the nations, gather you from all countries, bring you into your own land, and I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you will be clean from all your uncleanness. From all your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone and from your flesh give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you, cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. When God talks about renewing his people, 
gathering them together. He says, I will lead you. There's going to be a sprinkling, a washing, a bathing that's going to happen. And it's going to be a spiritual one too. There's going to be water, spirit to cleanse, to make whole and restored. And so the people who read their Bibles in Israel are looking for a time when someone is going to come and do this. And so we move forward and we find a, a teenage girl. She's 14, 15 years old, living in a town called Nazareth. Family loves God. She loves God. Waiting for God's promise of restoration and healing. And an angel appears to Mary and says that she's going to be the bringer, the carrier of God's promise, God's anointed one, the holy one, the deliverer of Israel. Well, there's a catch. What's the catch? This 14-year-old virgin, she never had sex with any man. She's like, sir, I, uh, barren, barren, never. Void, nothing here, nothing going on. Listen to the language that the angel uses. This is Luke chapter 1, verse 34. Luke 1, 34. Mary says to the angel, how will this be? I'm a virgin. The angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you, therefore the child to be born will be called holy. That sounds a lot like a new creation. That sounds a lot like a, a new coming of a new thing. I think, well, where's the water? How many of you watched the Cosby show? Have you guys ever watched the Cosby show? Have you ever watched the Cosby show growing up? Love Bill Cosby, Cosby show. Then That was awesome. I had my mom, my dad, uh, Cliff Huxtable. Man, that, that guy taught me a lot, all right? Now, anyone remember from the Cosby show, what was Cliff Huxtable's job? Bill Cosby's job, the actor in that show. Anyone remember what he did? What's that? What kind of doctor? He delivered baby. He's a baby doctor. So in the course of the show, the phone would ring. Oh, Dr. Huxtable, my water broke. What's the sign of the coming of a new baby? The water breaks. If you keep coming forward in the story to Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist is baptizing. Baptism, Jewish baptism was a way a Gentile would come and make a full body immersion to turn from their past towards a new faith. It's a common thing. It's a common thing. But what John was doing was John was calling Jews to do it. And then some of the Jews are like, excuse us? We don't need to get baptized. We are God's chosen. He's baptizing Jews completely. All of a sudden, Jesus shows up. This is in Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3, starting in verse 21. Luke 3, verse 21. Now when the people were baptized, when Jesus... So had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him bodily like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's crazy. That's crazy. There's like this type of thing that when God gets ready to change the story, when God wants to move from chaos to creation, from peril to peace, from barrenness to blessing, he brings people through the waters. Waters where the Holy Spirit is ready to transform and change. That's why Jesus sends forth his disciples after his ascension. And he says, before his ascension, he says, go into all the world and do what? Baptize them. Immerse them in water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Bring them from death to life, from chaos into new creation. Let them have that water moment. 
Peter's up there preaching this, the beginning of Acts. This is Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and verses 39. He's preaching the gospel message, and their heart is pricked, and they're like, what do we do? And Peter's like, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Paul grabs this and he's talking to a church in Corinth in Corinth chapter, Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. And he's laying out those things that's unifying, those things that unify. He says, there is one spirit, there is one baptism. When he's writing to one of his apprentices in Titus, Titus chapter three, Titus was trying to get this new church up and running and he's anchoring them in the gospel. Listen to and listen for water spirit language when he's talking about what gospel is. Titus chapter 3, starting in verse 5. He, Jesus, saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. Okay, that's important to remember. When you come to the baptismal, you don't baptize yourself. You receive. Okay. But according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out as on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Anchored right there in the story of the gospel. Water, spirit, language. I'm so thankful last week Adam um, spoke. Thank you for your comfort and your prayers as we went up to visit with family and we were um, driving back across Ohio's wasteland known as Route 30 um, where cell phone signal goes to die. We were listening to Adam's message as we are driving back Sunday morning um, and he said so many good things. I encourage you to go back and listen to it. Just getting us started, moving us towards, bringing the focus in on baptism. And he says, hey, when you come to water, it could go either way, right? When you come to water, it could go either way. It could be death, it could be life. We're gonna talk about death uh, in a few weeks. There are things that die in the water. Like Pharaoh died in the water. But out of that comes Life. I mean, what, what do you do with some of these stories that, that, because John's gospel is like the last thing to be written in the canon, okay? It's like the last book. It's not last in place. It's last in its composition. It rests on all of the stories. And I could have given you story after story, after verse, after verse, after verse, testifying to the centrality and the importance of water and spirit, of chaos to creation, of death to life. That to look at them and then to hear it echoed in the churches, again, just 100, 200, 300 centuries later, you hear Jesus' words, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And you're like, man, This might be a big deal. I mean, this is big deal on the level of like the Lord's table big deal. And y'all know me, man. When we come to the table, I'm weeping. Why? Because there's grace at the table. There's, it's, it's a sacrament. Remember, Adam introduced us to the idea of sacrament. Okay, it is a physical, a physical representation of a spiritual reality. I see the bread, but there's something spiritual, gracious in the bread. And I take the cup of juice or wine, but there is something gracious and effectual in the wine. That's why my heart breaks when Christians Christians don't go to church very much. They don't come to the table very much because you know what they turn into, okay? Other than jerks. Um, shriveled up dying plants that have been locked in a closet somewhere that get no light. Plants need fertilizer and they need sunshine and they need water and they need care and pruning. 
Like the Christian receives grace at the Lord's table. Grace that they feast on and they, they take in, that nurtures them. It's, it's precious, it's beautiful. But if we are beginning to look at baptism biblically and hearing the words of in the stories that this idea rests on, there is something in the water. There is someone over the water. What does that mean for us this morning? One of the pastors that I was talking about, theologians who lived in the second century, his name was Tertullian. Uh, he pastored an area uh, in Egypt. And there was heresies that were rising up. And one specifically was targeting the importance of baptism. And he wrote for his catechism class a lesson specifically on baptism. We have a catechism class. We call it Foundations to help people start their faith correctly. And this is how he starts the lesson, okay? They just wrote differently back then. This is, this is Adam, we got to figure this out, man. We got to write this, like, write like this. Ready? Happy is our sacrament of water. In that by washing away the sins of our early blindness, we are set free and admitted into eternal life. A treatise on this matter will not be superfluous. That means extra. Superfluous means extra, okay? Cookies on the bottom shelf for us Americans. Instructing not only such as are just becoming formed in the faith, so very new followers of Jesus, but them who content with having simply believed without full examination of the grounds of the traditions carry through ignorance and untried faith. So this will be a blessing for those of you who are new and a blessing for those of you who haven't been reading your Bible very much, Okay? Dude, boy, you're not messing around. The consequence, the reason is this. A viper of heresy, lately conversant in this quarter, has carried away a great number with her most venomous doctrine, making it her first aim to destroy baptism which is quite in accordance with nature for vipers and asps and basilisks themselves generally do affect arid, waterless desert places. But we, little fishes, after the example of the great Ichthus, Jesus Christ, Ichthus's fish, are born in water. Nor have we safety in any other way than by permanently abiding in water, so that most monstrous creature who had no right to teach even sound doctrine knew full well how to kill the little fishes by taking them away from the water. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? One of the heresies that he was confronting was a movement to diminish the priority of baptism in someone's faith. So what does it mean for us as we want to be more like Jesus and chase after Jesus? And we're going to talk about Jesus next week in the place of baptism. John said, there is one coming who will baptize, immerse you with the Holy Spirit. No wonder it says at the end of his life, Jesus gives the Spirit and out of his side comes water. Have you been to the water? Have you been baptized? The idea of someone following Jesus and not being baptized is foreign to the New Testament story. Well, what about the thief on the cross? Legitimate. All right, there's two options. Be crucified or get baptized. Which one do you want? You pick. You pick. He was baptized by what the church saints would call a baptism of blood. Martyred for his face. Have you been baptized? 
If that's something that you'd like to talk about, you can tear off your connection card and just write your name on it. Because I think it's serious. I think it's a big deal. I think it's a threshold. It's a door that something happens there as I look across and I read and I open and I study and I immerse myself in it. I drown myself. I plunge into it more. I think there's a whole lot more there. If you've not been baptized, let's talk. Let's talk. I think it speaks to a spirit of unity and humility that we want to exhibit here within our church family. Because we come from so many different heritages. Catholic and Methodist and Baptist and Lutheran and Anglican. Some baptized as an adult. Some baptized as an infant. Martin Luther said, and he said it well, it's not who He is that gives, but what it is that he gives. Not who he is that receives, but what it is that he receives. The sacrament itself is holy on his account, whose sacrament it is. Apostle Paul said there is one spirit, there's one baptism. If you want to go to a church that fights over baptism, you are more welcome to do that. It's that way. This will not be that church. It has never been that church. I feel it's one of my important theological and pastoral responsibilities to help maintain the tension of our heritages and say, were you baptized? You are welcome here. Would you like to learn about baptism? You are welcome here. Do you have questions about baptism? You are welcome here. If you want a war over who got baptized right, this is not the church for you. It's just not the church for you. And if you have been baptized, like Martin Luther, learn to glory in your baptism. Delight in the fact that by faith, You have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ and his spirit cleanses and covers and has moved you from chaos to new creation, from peril to peace, from barrenness to blessing. As he brought you through the waters from death to life. Thank you for sharing your time with us. And we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came, and that's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life, and a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.